Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, have a real good guest lined up who will give uh, ourselves and our listeners a little bit of a better idea as to what to expect Saturday night, and we'll jump into that in just a second. Hopefully that'll lay a little bit of a ground level of Wake Forest information, then we can come back and look at some of the uh, some of the numbers that are, in uh, Florida State's point of view, pretty exciting and some a little bit concerning. So, as always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, with that, we'll throw it to our guest. All right, now it's time for Ask the Expert, brought to you by Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida out of more than 110,000 attorneys. As part of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, you can reach Travis 850-435-9919. The selection of a family law attorney is very important. You need to get it right the first time in court with over a decade of experience. Travis is your guy. Give him a call again, 850-435-9919. And we are happy uh, to welcome in Riley Johnston uh, of Blogger So Dear, formerly the managing editor, now kind of helping those guys out over there. Blogger So Dear is a site that I actually uh, helped to start back in the day when, when I bar, when I brought uh, Martin Rickman over when I was uh, when I was doing some of the uh, procurement for SB Nation. And that's kind of how we built out the, the ACC uh, network of sites at SB Nation. Uh, you can follow Riley on Twitter uh, at MSD underscore R.A. Johnston. That's at MSD underscore R.A. Johnston. So, Riley, w- welcome to the Nolcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be back here. I'm trying to get back in the podcasting game a little bit, so hopefully your listeners will be uh, kind to me on uh, Not Too Rough. Well, we certainly appreciate you making time for us and uh, appreciate your opinion. I'll uh, lead off here and ask probably the, the most simple of questions and not overthink the room, but what's the what's the latest on the status of Jamie Newman and what do you expect from him come Saturday evening? Well, uh, I think Coach Clawson is pretty straightforward. Um, he doesn't really try to hide a lot, and he said a, a lot without really saying it in his press conference. There's going to be a high bar for Jamie Newman to play on Saturday. That was the take I got from it. We've got a very capable backup in Sam Hartman, who uh, started as a true freshman last year before getting injured. Then when he stepped in on Saturday night against Louisville, he proved to be more than capable again. So I think if Jamie Newman is not 90 to 100 percent ready to go with the, another bye week coming up after the Seminoles then he's probably going to sit and Sam Hartman will uh, take the range but something interesting to think about is Dave Clawson wanted to redshirt uh, Sam Hartman so with the new rule you actually get the four games this will be the second game he's played in so that's not a big deal something worth considering but I think uh, ultimately we will see Sam Hartman out there on Saturday. It's such an interesting situation. Uh, obviously, last year, Florida State saw Hartman as well. In fact, Hartman played the, the whole year last year, right? I, I, I think because Newman was – well, Newman played some, right? Yeah, Newman took over. I don't remember exactly what game. Hartman uh, had a lower leg injury. I think it was ultimately a broken bone. Newman stepped in, actually led us to the comeback win over NC State uh, on the road last year, uh, beat Duke very badly on the road and then led us to a bowl win. So he then won the starting job this year. So we saw a little bit of them both last year. Um, we've seen a little bit of them both this year, and uh, that's why you want two capable quarterbacks. It seems like both those guys are, are very capable uh, runners as well as throwers, but they're stylistically – like I went back and tried to watch today a little bit during my lunch break some of, of Hartman. Like They kind of use Newman as a bit of a battering ram at times, right? He's, he's, he's a thick – like big dude and his, his throwing numbers are 
are pretty good. Hartman, last year, his run numbers were were really good. His throw numbers were not quite as good. Is, is one a better thrower? Is one a better runner? Like, how would you differentiate the two? You know, it's kind of funny. The, the mindset of the fan base last year when there was the big debate over who should be playing before the season and kind of as the season went along was that Jamie Newman was really, really good at the short pass and the, and the deep ball, but the intermediate wasn't that good. Uh, Hartman showed a lot of really good refinement for a, a freshman, um, but he also showed that he can run as well. And in the offense that we run, uh, Jamie Newman has been used more as like you put it, a battering ram. He can run over people. He doesn't really try to avoid the big hit. But Sam Hartman is much more in the uh, John Wolfer type uh, mentality of he, he's quicker than he looks. So um, he could get out there and do that too. But uh, Newman's looked pretty good this year throwing the football, obviously, uh, especially on those deep balls. And he's kind of matured in that intermediate game too. Uh, it's hard to say one way or the other. I think they've just got varying styles, even though they both are, are um, can, can do both quite well. He killed Louisville. I mean, fifteen attempts for a buck seventy-two and two touchdowns, no picks. Like that's that's a pretty nice backup quarterback to have. And we we're very familiar here in Tallahassee with the idea of hey, a quarterback's banged up, uh, and the bye week is the following week. Why risk it? Why not sit him out this week and next week? You know, which is the bye week, so you're not missing two games. You're really just missing one, and then have a chance to to come back because that's exactly what James Blackman did. Uh, in, in not playing the game against NC State and then had the bye week and then played Clemson, which you could have had 10 bye weeks. It would not have mattered. Uh, but, yeah, like that, that's that's probably a pretty smart play on, on Clausen's part. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it, Newman is not discernibly better, in my opinion, than Sam Hartman. He's looked very, very good this year. But when you see Hartman just step right into the offense that he ran last year and do as well as he did against Louisville, not a great defense, but um, he, he also when he came in, there there were a little bit of – we were behind, we were throwing. I guess they could have been more conservative defensively than they normally would have been. But, I mean, Hartman knows what he's doing. So if I were Clawson and Newman is showing any signs that he's not quite ready to be out there, I roll with Hartman. I let Newman rest up, gives us two weeks. Uh, the NC State game is, is big as well. So we don't want that to be a, a lingering injury, which then uh, sacrifices Hartman's red shirt too. So might as well just take the medicine this weekend. Uh, Hartman's not going to give us, I don't think, a drastically lower chance to win the game uh, than uh, Newman would. So uh, that, that's exactly what I would do. Transitioning to who uh, either of these guys might be throwing to, just give our listeners a – and ideas to Wake's wide receivers, the loss of a guy like Greg Dortch, who is one of those guys who seems like he sits at a school for five or six years, and uh, good to see him go on, uh, move on. Scotty Washington's probably the most uh, easily identifiable of the bunch. Had a circus catch against, uh, was it Rice earlier in the year? But uh, what do you expect from Wake's wide receivers in general? Yeah, we kind of traded out Greg Dorch uh, last year, who a couple of notes on that. It's interesting. He was one of, uh, I believe, I think the third Wake Forest ever player to ever declare um, to not be a senior. Uh, and he just got signed by the Panthers today. And I think he will be elevated to their 53-man roster as a punt returner. So congratulations to him. Um, but we kind of upgraded him into Scotty Washington and Sage Surratt, um, who have both been just – 
monster this year. Um, mm-hmm. Sage especially, he he had a huge game against Louisville, but he got 46 receptions for 711 yards and nine touchdowns. And I think if you're making a um, midseason All-American list, he, he's got to be on there. So a lot of our game plan is for Newman to find those guys in uh, single coverage, throw it to them and let them go up and get it because they're both very, very tall. And that's what we've done successfully throughout most of the season so far. Um, other than those two guys, Kendall Hinton, former quarterback, we flipped him over to wide receiver. He had probably his best game as a receiver last week against Louisville as well. He's uh, coming off an injury. So he, he's very good in the across the middle, very quick, a lot of screen, stuff like that. So um, those are the three guys to focus on. And, and then the tight end, Jack Frudenthal, he's been a reliable target, kind of a safety valve across the middle. But uh, Say Surratt is the guy that Florida State is going to have to shut down because he's been uh, fantastic this year. Yeah, just for our listeners uh, to clarify, when he says they're really, really big, Surratt's 6'3", Washington 6'5", uh, not a whole lot of hyperbole being thrown around there. <laughs> yeah, t- tall, tall receiver, just uh, throw it and tell him to go get it. And, and not string beans either. I mean, nah. two and a quarter, 215-ish, uh, pretty big dudes. Uh, Riley, have you noticed, uh, obviously they've, they have really good guys on the outside. Have you noticed a drop-off on – kind of passes between the hashes with, with, with the loss of George because I know they, they lined him up in the slot and was really a mismatch uh, a lot of times for people last year. Um, I think early on we struggled a little bit. If we weren't hitting the deep ball and the run game wasn't going very well, then, then the defense could kind of key in and figure out what's going on. With Hinton going off last week and finally getting back and healthy, that's probably going to be the Dortch role there. So um, it hasn't been where it, it was last year with Dortch, who was an All-American across a lot of boards. So that, that's kind of hard to uh, replicate. But if Hinton can just step up and give 75 to 80% of that, then it's really going to free up the outside. And, and that's a scary thought, especially if we can uh, continue to get the run game going with that delayed run handoff. I got to ask this. Boston College's defense is like the worst ACC defense we've seen in a long time, like except for Georgia Tech. We're, we're kind of not counting Georgia Tech when we talk about <laughs> right. this stuff this year because, you know, I mean, they're transitioning everywhere. And, yeah. How did y'all score 27 points at Boston College? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it seemed like our game plan that that whole afternoon was to just pound the ball and run it and keep the ball out of the hands of, of BC, which was an interesting strategy because I think their corners struggled immensely. I mean, I think if we had thrown all night like we did against Louisville last week, we could have put up numbers like that. So I don't know exactly – we threw a lot of deep balls early on, and they were really good throws by Newman. Um, their corners made a couple of good plays, and, and then Surratt dropped one, and I think Scotty dropped one. But uh, Washington had that really, really good catch that was ultimately the game winner. I, I don't know. It, it, football is a really weird game like that, but I think it was part game plan, part BC stepped up a little bit, and I was just glad we got the win, honestly. It seems like this year Wake's run game with – with Carney and and obviously they're they're leading rushers Newman on, on the season, but like it's not that effective. It's almost just like they they do it a good bit just to get the defense to focus on enough so that, so they can get to the throw game. Is that accurate? Because I'm looking at like their their success rate 82nd, their explosiveness 75th, their you know marginal efficiency 104th. Like they don't seem to the run game this year doesn't seem to be quite what it was last year, but the pass game has just been kind of unreal. Is it just a keep people honest type thing this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the, the old cliche that I hate. You run to set up the throw, and I mean, that's what we've been doing most of the season. Aside from uh, Kenneth Walker, the true freshman who was one of the lowest-rated uh, players in our class, he, he's run 37 times for 328 yards, so that's a nine-yard nine yard per carry average. Um, Carney's been banged up a little bit. He's a bruising runner. Um, Beal Smith had a good game on Saturday, but uh, that's kind of the first – good glimpses we've seen it's weird watching the games live it feels like we're moving it getting kind of chunk yardage out of the run game then at the end you look and you see like Carney runs 25 times for 80 yards so um that, that's one of those where in my mind like what you're seeing on the field isn't matching what's in the stat sheet so maybe that's why it's been working out so well where it's just freeing guys up on the outside um getting them to move up a little bit before we can exploit it deep so I think it plays into that I trust Dave Clawson immensely so I, I think he knows what he's doing but I would like to see Kenneth Walker get a lot more touches than he's gotten I mean he's not going to average nine yards per carry throughout the ACC season but let, let's find out what that floor is <laughs> and uh, get him some more carries would you expect I mean Newman's been averaging like not even including sacks I mean 79 design rushes over six games is like what 12 a game more than yep. that like tw 12 design rushes a game from Newman, do you think that Hartman's going to get three design rushes per quarter? Uh, I think it's kind of interesting because of the way we set up the offense, and I don't think we will run it any differently with Hartman um, than we do with Newman. A lot of those are, I mean, they're not necessarily zone reads where you're just reading the defensive end, but with the delayed handoff, the quarterback can pull the ball at any time and just go. Um, so Newman does tend to do that a little more than Hartman did. Um, a lot of that last year was because there's always that slant route to the slot receiver as an option too. So you've got the handoff to the running back, the run from the quarterback, and then you have that quick out or quick slant um and, and now that Hinton's back in there I, I wouldn't be surprised especially with Hartman if we th do that a little more um so I think we probably won't see 15 carries for Hartman but I wouldn't be surprised if he burst into double digits I think we'll have the exact same game plan but it might be executed by the quarterback a little bit differently you all want to move over to the defensive side of the ball at this point uh one quick question the 2-0 the lineman who got hurt they're they're going to be fine, right? They're they're playing. Yeah, I believe they're good for. Uh, they should be good for this Saturday. One of them looked pretty bad, um, but Les Johns over at Demon Deacon Digest reported that they're both uh, good to go. Maybe could be playing a little coy, but I think I think we should be set up there. This is kind of a fascinating thing to me. And last thing on the offense is that in watching Wake's run game, a lot of it really is up the A gap and up, up the B gap, right? Yeah, uh, and that's where Florida State's run defense is very good. Uh, four states run defense, C gap, D gap, not not real good uh, at all. Like they've really been struggling off tackle. A lot of wake stuff is kind of very much you know between guard guard to center, you know guard to tackle, right? Like yeah. it's. I'm interested to see how wake changes that up and if they'll change sort of their, their arc and their path uh, in this game, or they're just going to try to go right at those dudes because I'm not sure wake has seen a team with the bulk up front of, of Florida State. Yeah, I mean, we've seemed content to just kind of run it at the teeth of the defense versus every team we played so far. So I would love to see a little bit more, use the boundary, use the sweep. We've got good speed on the outside. Um, if we can get Hinton and Roberson involved in those and just kind of get the defense out of the middle a little bit instead of just, you know, running up the middle every single time, then uh, I think that would pay off. And if that's a primary strength of Florida State, then I would assume we will uh, try to get away from that. 
So uh, Wake Forest currently running a 4-2-5, also suffered a couple of injuries uh, seemingly recently, but uh, a team that's obviously coming off a, a whole lot of points last week, that's a little bit of a one-off, but what are your general feelings of the unit halfway through the season? I mean, I think uh, they've done enough to get by, um, thanks to the offense. Uh, last week was a little bit different in the sense that Louisville had a kickoff return for a touchdown. They had a, another kickoff down to the 20, and then I think a punt return that came back or a long way down. Um, so they were, uh, I mean, 62 points of 62 points, and the defense was not great. But um, I think everybody expects a little bit better from them. Uh, under Lyle Hemphill, it's his first season after we fired uh, D.C. last year midseason. Um, it got a little better as the year went on last year, but there's still a lot of gaps there that, that we have to fill up. And, um, you know, sitting at 5-1, and one, it's hard to complain a lot, especially as a Wake Forest fan. But you got to be concerned as we get into the season. We're playing the Florida State, the Clemson, NC State. Um, you know, Duke's obviously not in that tier, but they've stepped up a lot lately. We're going to need our defense to make plays and, and uh, win a couple games for us here. It's been all about the offense, and it, I think it's a pretty big concern across the fan base that it, it's a liability that, that I don't know if it's scheme, I don't know if it's just talent or what they're being taught, but there's a lot of deficiencies on that defense right now. That That's pretty concerning for a team that has aspirations to get down to Florida for a uh, late December, early January bowl game. The uh, injury I referenced was uh, Luke Masterson. Sorry, bud, didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, just give us a quick idea as to what type of impact that would have on the defense. Yeah, so interestingly enough, last year he stepped in and played in one of his first games uh, when there was an injury. I think we were down to like two scholarship linebackers when we played y'all last year, exactly a year ago, and now this year he is been ruled out with a shoulder injury for the rest of the season he's floated back and forth between the rover safety linebacker position um so that's going to be a pretty big hit we've got a lot of youth there now um trey rucker's going to step in and be the fresh uh fre true freshman free safety and uh travion red will he's a redshirt junior but he played a good bit but he'll take over the rover position masterson was a guy who has really matured a lot um on the field and he, he played a lot of different positions. So he was kind of a Swiss Army knife. It's going to be a loss, even if it's just because you're not getting 10 snaps out of a backup there. So it's going to kind of plunge us further down the depth chart at two or three different positions. So it's not so much – I mean, he's great on the field, but not one position, but how versatile he was that is probably going to hurt the defense the most. Are you worried about the size differential between a guy like Masterson, who I think Wake had listed at like two and a quarter, and then uh, Trayvon Red, the – you know, like you just said, the presumptive starter there now, who's a buck ninety-five. And it, it, are they going to change the way they use those guys? I mean, that, that's a fairly decent size uh, split. Yeah, that's a great question. And we kind of uh, we've been switching guys in and out of rover and safety and linebacker the last two or three years, where it it doesn't really matter how much they weigh. We're just putting them in, and they're they're playing that position and kind of moving all over. I think we'll probably change a couple things scheme wise um, to try to cover that out. I mean, playing red is more like playing a nickel as opposed to just having a, a linebacker hybrid. I mean, at 195, that's, I mean, it's not small by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also not what you want out of a guy in the middle of the field. So we'll see how that goes. I think we will, uh, we just got to get more pressure up front. That's really what everything starts from. So if we can get more of that, then it will take a lot of pressure off the secondary and the linebacker core. I assume the guy to know here is uh, Carlos Basham. Yep, Boogie Basham. He's uh, one of the best players. I know he's uh, moving up the draft boards. He's been a monster, got a lot of 
backfield tackles. And I mean, if you even if you're not looking for him on the defensive side of the ball, he just has those stretches of plays like uh, Duke Edgefort used to have for us, where it, you, you don't even realize it's him, but you just know that he when he's darting across the field that that's the guy making the tackle because he'll do it three or four times in a row. So that's definitely the guy to watch out for. Um, Jacory Johns on the other end is a redshirt freshman. He's had a very, very good uh, first season. So he stepped up and kind of made the uh, offensive line have to focus on both ends. Um, but but the middle has been a concern, and, and we're not getting the pressure that we need to. But Boogie is definitely the uh, linchpin of the defense for the defense. Ingram, it is time again, once again, for which defensive end will make his NFL draft uh, show highlight <laughs> against four states tackles? <laughs> Well, hopefully it'll be Boogie because I think he's fringe first round at this point. So we'll see. Oh, oh not after he's Saturday, be top man. ten after this game. Yeah, There's no yeah, doubt. I'd, I'd say, love to see it. He's uh, gonna call his presumptive agent and tell him to. Sh- I'm gonna shut it down after that <laughs> last, last film. I'm gonna put out. Yeah, uh, that is. Uh, um, now, thankfully, Florida State's uniforms are so botched by Nike they look like Boston colleges. So at times <laughs> uh, they'll misidentify. They're like, oh, he's that. Like that, he's playing really well against Boston College. We're like, yeah, yep, that's Boston College. That's right. That's not Florida State. Um, yeah, we're we're very familiar with uh, getting the uh, draft day uh, mentions for whether it's Notre Dame or Clemson or Florida State, just running all over us. We see our field a lot, unfortunately. Brendan Sinone of uh, two four seven today reported that Florida State's starting left tackle uh, rated the worst in the entire Power Five, and it, its backup, who's had to play a lot because the starters hurt, uh, is fifth worst in the Power Five. So, not really uh, a great matchup there against against Basham. Uh, is he going to line up over the left tackle? Probably. Uh, I think we flip him around a good bit. Usually he is on the top side with the right tackle, um, but he moves around a good bit too. So, I mean, I'm sure Clawson will get him in a position where he can take on the left tackle um, if he's rated as poorly as uh, that sounds like he is. Um, yeah, he may be better at playing playing the run than the pass too. So he'll get to uh, he'll get to put all kind of types of highlights together. That should be uh, something worth looking forward to, at least, uh, Mm, regardless. Uh, Don't think there will be a lot of defensive highlights across the board in a, what, 75-point game total, but maybe we'll get two or three. If you're you're attacking this Wake Forest team with the pass, you're you're going between the hash marks, right? Yes, the safeties are definitely uh, the – I would say weak spot of the defense, and, and a lot. It's, that's not completely fair. I mean, you all. If we're just looking at the secondary, uh, I mean, Isang Bassey and Amari Henderson are both uh, fourth and fifth year guys. They they'll get beat every once in a while, but for the most part, they can lock their guy down. If you're trying to exploit us, you're going to go over the middle of the field, try to get a blown assignment, um, get somebody where they're not supposed to be. Um, and, and a lot of that is kind of going back to not getting pressure up front and then putting too much pressure on the on the back four. But I, I wouldn't attack Henderson or Bassey. Um, the corners with any regularity and try to get success out of it. It's all for me on the defense. Uh, you got any special teams questions, bud? And you, you guys are bringing back the same two kids? And uh, kicking and punting? Yeah. Yep. Dom Maggio, kicker or uh, punter, and then Nick Skiba, uh, freshman or sophomore kicker. He's uh, he's probably one of the best kicker in the nation. I think he's made 1920 in a row just broke uh school record so it's got to be one of the longest in the nation but they're both very good and uh that's why last week's special team blunders were so interesting can we talk about the coverage teams for those special teams for a minute because that's yeah uh... <laughs> yeah that's uh that's definitely an issue we've uh if we're not kicking in the end zone on kickoffs or uh we're not getting fair catches on punch that has just been an adventure throughout the entire season um i mean it's there aren't even guys in the same zip code as uh the side of the field that the returners are running on so i don't know if it's just been 
I mean, you can't have that bad a blown scheme or if we're kicking it in the wrong place. I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell watching it live without getting the all 22 view. But I mean, if when you're not getting guys within 15 yards of a guy when he's at the 25, there, there's something wrong with either speed or, or what you're trying to execute out there on the field. And that, that hurt us big time against Louisville. I think without those, we're, we're probably coming away with a win there. That was incredible. I mean, that like I, I was watching that game and I, I've had like four TVs going, but Within the first 20 minutes of that game, unless I got the time wrong on this, it was like kickoff return for touchdown and then return to like another kickoff return that was pretty much like almost into the red zone, if not into the red zone, and then a punt return down to like the 13. And then a a, a pick six type thing. They didn't score on it, but uh, that was nuts. Yeah, there was a starting field position was a 39. Yeah, it was a really fluky game for a lot of reasons. One, we put up like 650 yards on offensive loss. That's really, really hard to do. Um, and then we only lost the turnover battle by one, and we still gave up 62 points. Uh, I mean, it's that's, those are the things that I think as a head coach and a coaching staff just drive you absolutely insane. Anytime we tried to get momentum, we cut it to 21-7. The guy takes the kickoff back. And then second half, we're trying to get things going. The guy takes it inside the 20 just to start everything off. They score on the next play. Those are just backbreak. And I think that's uh, that's something that Dave Clawson doesn't put up with for a long time. So if we have another week like that, there could uh, there could be some hedge for all in on, uh, on our quad next weekend. Also against Louisville, and I know Louisville's different, but it kind of felt like either they would get stopped for a loss or they would hit like a 60-yard run. There was not a whole lot of in-between. Yeah, there. I mean, that was – really as a fan, that game was one of the most up-and-down games I've ever played watched and just because not only was the score that high not only were there that many big plays but you know you kind of felt like several times even when we were down 14 17 10 we had them in you know third and 12 because we stopped on back-to-back runs or incomplete pass then they'd hit a 45 yard pass so I mean we've really given up a lot of explosive plays on the defensive and special team side of the ball and that has to drive the coaching staff crazy because you put yourself in those third and long distances and we've been really good at it all year I think we were top 10 nationally on uh getting third down stops, and then against Louisville, that just all went to hell in the handbasket. All right. Uh, Riley, do you uh, you got a pick on the game? You saving it? What, uh, what What do you want to do? No, I mean, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth. I submitted for it for our uh, just the Blogger So Dear prediction, but I'll go ahead and give a sneak peek. So I, I just – I don't know why. I, I have a not great feeling about this game. I, I think Florida State's athleticism is going to give us a lot of fits. And Wake Forest has always thrived under Jim Grove, under Dave Clawson, on being disciplined. We're not the most athletic team. We're not the, um, you know, four and five stars. We've never had a five star on our entire roster in the history of Wake football. So we have – to out-discipline football teams and we've been very disciplined as far as penalties go but last week we kind of saw the floodgates break open on on the big plays defensively which we've seen a little bit and then special teams which is another massive concern and uh, against a team like Florida State that just has such great athletes even if they're not going to put it together for 60 minutes those lapses in concentration for Wake we just can't have if we're going to win a game Um, I think it's going to be close going into the fourth quarter but I I like Florida State 35 to 31 over Wake so I guess I'd take the under if uh, I were a gambling man all right. Hey, Rod, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. I know we went a little bit long, but uh, I think this was really good stuff for, for the listeners, especially with, with all the, the different changes you have going on with, with Masterson and, and also with, with with Newman and Hartman. And, uh, and we appreciate it. Y'all, 
Again, you, you can follow Riley uh, on, on Twitter if you like. That's at MSD underscore R.A. Johnston or visit bloggersodeer.com. Uh, Riley, appreciate you joining the NOLCast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Best of luck this weekend. Here's to no injuries. Here's to <laughs> Thank no you injuries. much, man. I like it. All right, that was really cool. I, I think that's something the listeners appreciate. And uh, also want to thank Madison Social, Ingerman. I know you have a special message about their catering. Always happy to talk about the folks at Madison Social. I'll uh, remind people tomorrow's uh, Reuben Day. So if you're in the Tallahassee area, 17th of each month is something to put on your calendar. And uh, if you've got anything coming up on your calendar and you have not uh, planned accordingly, whether it be hosting an event or uh, catering a corporate uh, a corporate get together. Uh, do contact our friends at uh, For the Table Hospitality. Matt Thompson been uh, somebody we've been fortunate enough to work with for many years now, and uh, consummate professional and a great person to help you uh, with any kind of event or catering uh, situation. That's Matt at ForTheTableHospitality dot com. And thank you as always to our friends at the For the Table Restaurant Group. All right, Ingram, let's get into some more of the uh, the data here. It was great to hear Riley, and, and here's just some some cool stats and matchup things that I, I dug up that I feel like uh, Florida State either has an advantage or disadvantage uh, with. We'll start on uh, on defense, or excuse me, on Florida State offense, Wake Forest defense. Uh, overall is a good advantage, actually. We'll start with the overall advantage. Florida State's offense 28th in SP+, Wake's is 78th. So, you know, top quarter of college football uh, versus, you know, bottom half. That's pretty good. Uh, explosiveness. Florida State is 33rd in explosiveness overall, which is you know, plenty good. Uh, Wake Forest is 114th. 114th. So Wake Forest, really good at giving up the big play. Uh, and frequently, if Florida State's going to win this football game, it's going to need to play to its strengths and play shot, play for shot plays, play to hit the big play, play to get Wake out of position and play fast. Uh, that's that's a really big deal. In fact, uh, if you look at the FBS opponents so far played by Wake Forest, uh, Louisville put up 7.5 yards per play on them. Uh, they actually held UNC to 5, 5.0. Uh, however, what, uh, Utah State, which is an excellent offense with, with, with Jordan Love, they put up 7.54 on Wake. Uh, like I already said, Louisville. And then uh, Boston College actually put up 7.11. BC's offense is or at least was uh, pretty decent before their quarterback uh, went down. We'll, we'll see how he is. So that's definitely something to watch there. Uh, one thing Wake does to offset this, though, and I'll, I'll jump over to this when we talk defense, but Wake uh, is very good at controlling the ball and running a whole lot of plays. Uh, they ran 102 plays against, against uh, Louisville. They ran uh, 105 against Utah State, and they ran uh, 87 against Boston College. So where is this uh, explosiveness uh, most pronounced for Florida State as far as the advantage of being the pass game? Wake Forest is 95th in explosive plays allowed. Florida State 26th in explosive plays through the air uh, achieved. So big-time advantage there with the explosive pass. You already heard Riley talk about how the uh, the advantage could be over the middle. Uh, that's something Kendall Bryles likes to exploit with with uh, Keyshawn Hilton out. You think we could see a little dose of uh, DJ down the middle perhaps? be nice to uh if he's going to be involved you would think this would be a situation where he'd have as as good of a chance to uh to to really make a opportunity i also feel like 88 is emerging more and more and while not a a a replica of helton by any means i think he could get a decent amount of the snaps that have been made available trey harrison really talented kid 
I, I try to get away from some of the number talk. I know some people uh, are get confused by that, but uh, Harrison continues to emerge and uh, is as, about as talented and gifted as you could ask for in that type of size to play the slot. I'm also really, uh, really intent on throwing the football on early downs, right? I think it would be a mistake to just pound the rock on first down and this all this establish the run nonsense. No. Come out throwing. Come out, go and play action. Come out RPO game. FSU is 25th in explosiveness on standard downs. So, again, first and 10, uh, second and seven or better, third and four or better. Uh, Wake Forest, explosiveness on standard downs, 112th in the nation. They are definitely vulnerable to play action. They are vulnerable to first down passing. Wake Forest is going to play that 4-2-5, and they are going to play eight men in the box. They're a defense that wants to take away uh, the run, and they want to make you throw it. And they typically want to take away some of those some of those deep shots, too. Like, they basically will allow you a lot of underneath throws until you end up hitting them with some play-action stuff over the top. Their, their numbers are kind of weird. I, I'm trying to square what I'm watching with, with what I'm seeing on, on the screen as far as, as their performance stats. Um, but, yeah, that's... That's pretty interesting there. Uh, here's where Florida State does not have the advantage on offense, running the football. Florida State is not a good rushing team, okay? Like, they have Cam Akers. He's awesome. The offensive line sucks. So, that outweighs Cam Akers. Florida State is 82nd in the nation in terms of rushing effectiveness. 96th in rushing success rate. Uh, Wake, Wake Forest defense against the run, 49th. So that's a decent advantage for Wake. Not an enormous one, but it's more about how bad Florida State's offensive line is in terms of blocking the run game. Now, they have played some better fronts than what Wake Forest will, will, will show you, right? They played Clemson, which is a better front. I believe Boise's a better front. UVA, in my opinion, is, is a better front, uh, as is, I think, NC State. I don't think Louisville's a better defense than, than Wake is, but you can argue uh, that it is. And FSU had pretty good success. Uh, against Louisville. So there is some hope there, but I would not just be this, hey, let's just pound the rock 30 times uh, type thing. Um, the other deal is like Wake is very good again on a down-to-down basis against the run, and Florida State is is not. So it's in terms of success rate when you're running the ball, Florida State 96th, Wake Forest 23rd in terms of success rate allowed. That's a huge gap. I mean, you're talking about a 73-spot gap there in, in their performance measures. That's like Florida State, if they just go to try and run the ball, more than likely they're going to be behind the chains uh, and, and in, into passing downs, which is not what you want. You want to stay ahead of the chains so you can take advantage some of, of Wake's aggressiveness. The other issue that I, I see here, uh, and this is kind of against almost any team you play when you're 111th in the nation in sack rate allowed, but we got to point it out, right? If it's a gap like this, Florida State, yeah, 111 in sack rate allowed. And, uh, and Wake is 60th in sack rate on defense. So Wake is not insanely good at sacking the quarterback. I mean, 60th is literally middle of the pack. There's only 130 teams in college ball. 111 is pretty bad as far as protecting the quarterback. We already heard about Carlos Basham. My opinion is is don't let Basham beat you, okay? If Wake, if, if Wake clips you with, with somebody else, all right. But, but Basham has four and a half sacks. Nobody else on Wake's team has more than one and a half. And that and the guy with one and a half is is Jacory Johns, the, the other defensive end. Basham, eight and a half tackles for loss. That is more than any other two players on our team uh combined. So definitely 
Yeah. Don't let Basham beat you. Make Wake prove that they have somebody else who, who can rush the passer and, and get pressure on Hornerberg or Blackman, which, hey, we haven't even talked about that yet. Like, who yeah. would you start in this game? Yeah, I was wondering somewhat what we were talking about there as to which one uh, it kind of favors with what you're asking. And I'll reiterate what I said with Riley Basham. Uh, yeah, he's got some nice sack numbers, but you're going to you're gonna feel him in the run game as well. That's some of that you got to account for. And uh, I would hope that there's – some sort of package at least for him because uh, he's he's can be an impactful regardless of what you're trying to do uh yeah back to what you're saying um yeah you, you <laughs> i don't know I, I there's there's aspects of this that i think lean a little bit more towards uh hornybrook and there's aspects with james uh, bigger arm and wanting to push them test them downfield that i think blackman's uh your better choice so i would i would uh, give blackman the nudge uh, personally, but I, uh, I could see where you could point to either side. So, if if you gave me the Hornerbrook that we were told you had in camp, right? The knows where to go with the ball, has a noodle arm, but generally, you know, is accurate with it. That that and, and protects the ball, Hornerbrook. Then that's yeah. the guy I want playing in this game. If you're going to give me the Hornerbrook who has the ability to take advantage of some of the softer throws they're going to give you, hundred, I completely agree with you there. But that Hornerbrook has not existed yet this year. We have not actually seen that Hornerbrook in games. Um, we really didn't see a whole lot of him at, at, excuse me, at, at Wisconsin. So I don't know if he's a better option than Blackman is right now. I think Blackman played better than he did against Clemson, but Blackman obviously did not handle the moment in terms of like emotional maturity in that game so some back and forth on that in my head i i don't have a strong preference i don't think any of these guys is, is all that good um what we we talked about this in the last episode what i would not do is um i would not do the thing where it's like planned to play them both i would start the guy who does better in practice this week and I would relieve him if he plays poorly, but I would not do the whole like merry-go-round of quarterbacks thing. I don't think that's helping either of these guys. Continue to kind of, and I don't love to do this, but at least I see it. Your offense coordinator kind of gives you little hints that maybe he's not wild about it as well. And uh, that's, <laughs> I don't know. You don't you don't want to be CEO, head coach, and micromanager at the same time when dictating a uh, a quarterback. A quarterback rotation, certainly an in-game quarterback rotation. So something to look for. Uh, let's talk a little, little Florida State defense against Wake offense. Um, all right. Well, I think we've already kind of queued this up. Uh, where, where does uh, where does Florida State have the advantage? Not a whole lot of places. Um, rushing explosiveness is one. Florida State's been very good at rushing explosiveness. Um, they're 25th in the nation at preventing it, which is really good. Wake has actually not hit explosive runs this year almost ever. They're 75th nationally in that. So that, that's a that's a fairly big advantage uh, for Florida State. Other than that, I am kind of hard-pressed to find categories where Florida State is better than Wake in terms of uh, um, in terms of of the rankings. They're pretty even in terms of Wake hitting big plays through the air. And Florida State preventing him. It's not really an advantage. Forty-seven or forty-three versus thirty-seven. Okay, uh, that's kind of it. Uh, pretty much. I will say, uh, Wake is very bad at protecting 
Well, no, I can't even say that. That's that's not true. Um, there's not a whole lot of uh, advantages here in terms of Florida State's defense against Wake. It's basically FSU doesn't allow big plays. Now, stylistically, like we talked with Riley about, a lot of Wake's runs are up the middle. Florida State does a really bad job of stuffing the run. They're 105th nationally in terms of getting run stops. And Wake uh, is 51st in having their runs stopped. So not a huge one there. Let's talk about the Wake advantages. Rushing success rate for Wake. This is weird because Wake's rushing success rate is not even any good, right? It's 82nd. The problem is Florida State is 114th in rushing success rate allowed. In fact, I discussed this today on, on Twitter and put out a tweet that had a lot of uh, uh, had a lot of response to it, and basically said, "Yeah, well, here's the thing: you have been worse than the national average in terms of allowing successful rushes in every single game that you have played so far." This is what we called Willie out for. On, on the the Monday show, which was saying, look, man, yeah, you can say you've done a great job stopping the run the last two games. If you just mean not allowing to get gashed by like 40 and 50 yarders, yeah, I would agree. But on a down-to-down basis, you have not stopped the run well. So how much of an advantage is this, right? Like Wake is, what did I say, they're 82nd in terms of like rushing consistency, you know, rushing success rate. That's not great. Florida State just happens to be really bad at 114th. I have some optimism here. I'm not going to lie. With Wake's primary run attack being the quarterback and you know the the, the back and the A gap and B gap, Florida State has been a pretty good A like I don't want to say pretty good. Florida State has not been terrible in terms of defending A gap and B gap runs. I think there's some possibility here that the Knowles with with, with their bulk up front could present some problems uh, for the Demon Deacons up front, especially with with one of their guards you know having to come out of the game and, and have, have an X-ray on his foot. Last game. Now he's been practicing. He, he should play unless uh, unless Klaus is not telling the truth. But like that could be a nice advantage for Cooper and Durden and, and Wilson on the inside, and you may be able to take Wake out of its comfort zone. So I, I had that listed as a disadvantage in terms of rushing success rate, but I don't know how much of a disadvantage it is unless Wake's able to really change where they're where they're trying to attack, which. I would do, yeah, because Florida State will, will. You can run in the Mari Gainer easily. It's it's you can run. Sorry, no, it's it's just something that you as the listener can immediately look for and and look to see if an offense is making adjustments to Florida State's defense. You make up a great point. Uh, Florida State's strengths kind of lie in which the areas that uh, Wake more naturally is inclined to attack, and uh, if you start to see them kind of change their arc of attack or where. Uh, the the main aspects of the running game are focused on and start to get a bend a little wider than uh, it may be adjustments that are made or a, uh, an offense that Florida State could struggle with a little bit more. All right, you want to get to the major disadvantage of Florida State's defense? <laughs> yes, let's let's jump into the big one here. This is bad. This is real bad. This is uh, this is if Florida State loses this game, um, this is why, almost certainly. Passing success rate allowed. So how often are the pass plays you 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 do successful? Wake Forest, 14th in the nation. Florida State, 116th allowed. 14th for Wake, 116th for FSU's defense. Wake Forest does a tremendous job of passing the football and like playing pitch and catch. They are like 68% completions on the year. 
uh, and it's not all dink and dunk. They're 18th in terms of adjusted net yards per attempt. Um, so that's a huge one right there. Like that is probably the biggest advantage either side has in this game, right? I mean, 14th versus 116th. It's hard to find something that's a more than 100 spot gap in the ranks offense to defense, but we found one. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And it's uh, when we talked about you were going to face teams that are better suited to attack the the biggest weaknesses and stretch the linebackers. This is uh, this is part of it, and it's not just Clemson. And it's uh, the the two aspects of of the pass game. Obviously, is the most uh, the one that jumps out the most. But with a running back that they have in Carney, who's kind of just known for picking up two, three, four, or five yards at a time. Uh, you have concerns about what you can do in general about slowing Wake uh, down, and uh, that may be kind of what they want to do with some of some of what you talked about, how they would like to run a high tempo but also love to just uh, grind out long, prolonged drives. And the defense that we have seems to be a, a perfect recipe to perhaps present that opportunity. Okay, here's the other, here's the other uh, one for you. Um, sack rate, right? Wake Forest is almost never sacked. They're 20th in the nation preventing sacks, and uh, and Florida State is only 64th in terms of getting sacks. I don't think it's going to get better post Kando. Having having Janarius back in there should help uh, some. But how many times did Florida sets. State sack Boise? Just curious. I know that's a random question to throw in there. No, but I, can, I, I can actually, I can I actually pull it up with two clicks. Wonder how many of those sacks that we talk about are are contained within the first 60 minutes of football. Uh, FSU sacked Boise one time. It looks like uh, so Becker was in, is it okay or whoever got Marvin it. Wilson. Marvin Wilson got it. Okay, I guess I thought that's, there were more than one. This, yeah, we we hit the, we hit the hell out of that kid. It's just they didn't. Uh, I don't. I guess they didn't get him on the ground enough. Um, so that's potentially an issue is actually getting to the quarterback. My bigger concern here by far is. Florida State's soft-ass defense, and I don't mean soft as in, like, they're not physical. I just mean soft as in they play a lot of off-coverage. They they do not – they don't stick to anybody tight, especially underneath. That, that to me, is a, a major problem potentially in this game, right? It's can Wake Forest – now, Wake Forest does play at a blistering tempo. I mean, Wake Forest is sixth in the nation in terms of adjusted tempo. Uh, Florida State is fourth. So you're going to be hard-pressed to find a, a matchup this year where the two teams play at more tempo. But Wake staying ahead of the chains constantly and going on drives that are seven, eight, nine plays, that's a major concern of mine in, in this football game. Um, Wake's concern clearly is their defense gives up the home run a lot, and Florida State does hit the home run. Like that's what Florida State's strength is on offense. Florida State is not a team that will drive on you. Florida State will hit the big play on you. Um, in fact, I think somebody had told me Florida State has more touchdowns from outside the red zone than from inside the red zone, which I don't think is true. Um, but if that is, that's a pretty good representation of, you know, um, of that. So being able to hit those big plays is is something for Florida State uh, to be looking at. So, um, yeah, that's a pretty big, pretty big deal there, and uh, and just. You've got to take more risks on standard downs. Again, Florida State 124th in the nation in standard down success rate allowed. If you do not take some risks and try to play a little bit tighter coverage, even if it means giving up the bomb once in a while, 
you're going to lose this football game. You're not going to beat Wake playing shell coverage and hoping and praying your linebackers can cover some underneath. You need to crowd the line of scrimmage more. You need to accept that you might give up a bomb or two or hell in a, in a game where you have 16, 17 possessions, potentially three, but trade that for some tackles for loss and some havoc plays and actually getting an offense off schedule for once for the love of God. I'm just, I'm so tired of watching this nonsense. It's just every week, Harden Burnett's defense allows a ridiculous success rate to the opponent. You're like, okay, oh yeah. But it, 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 it's first of all, it, it's it's a terrible way to play defense, I think, and, unless you're like Iowa, and then they they do a really good job of it. It also is really incongruent with the offense you're trying to run, and I. It's Florida State's explosiveness against against Wake's, uh, you know, consistency, and and we'll we'll see who wins that. We should probably. Uh, uh, we should probably set up some goals for this game. Yeah, let's do. Uh, we'll jump to uh, to our goals and then move into a prediction if you want to real quickly before we tackle some of these listener questions. Sure. Uh, so I'm just looking here uh, real quickly at what Wake Forest has done in recent games and uh, looking for some similar quality defenses. All right, uh, so basically I'm going to set the goal here of Florida State offensively uh, at least uh, six and a half yards per play. I think that's pretty fair, especially considering what Wake's defense has been given up. And uh, I think that's a, a go- that's a goal that if you do that, it should allow you to, to win the football game, right? Um, I should, maybe I should set that higher. Maybe it should be 6.75 and really emphasize hitting the explosives. Uh, let's let's go 6.75. Wake has allowed seven yards of play three times already this year. Okay. And uh, for uh, for the defense, I don't think they've hit one of these yet this year. Maybe they have. Let's say... I think they hit it exactly uh, on the number. Maybe it was the... Maybe it was the Louisville game, I believe. Okay, okay. Let's say six and a quarter. So 6.75 for Florida State and six and a quarter for allowed. If you you hit that, you know, that's close to a 10% advantage on a per-play basis. That should allow you to come away uh, with the win. You want to go predictions? I will move to predictions only after getting my uh, personal little uh, soapbox in that uh, I'd love to see us catch as many punts as possible this weekend. Uh, let's not let's not let the ball bounce for negative twenty two, please. If the ball perhaps lands six to seven yards in front of us, that's uh, that's maddening. Don't understand it. We'll move to predictions. Um, honestly, oh Riley's go on. Sorry. Um, two other things. Number one, there actually might be some advantage here to how, how slow Florida State's linebackers are to read and react to stuff. I know we talked about this yeah. on the Monday show, but yeah. Wake does this crazy thing where they hold the mesh point for like two seconds at a time, like one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And the quarterback and, and running back actually walk towards the line as they do their RPO stuff. I think this will be a big RPO game for both teams, but it's interesting to see you know, how that will work um, against Florida State's backers who are big, but slow and slow to react to stuff in, in, in the case of Warner. Uh, I think DJX has been, been playing better. 
Uh, the other thing is we need to not fair catch kickoffs this week. Wake Forest kickoff uh, coverage this year mm-hmm. is, like Riley said, I mean, it's not just, a, just an isolated thing. They're, um, they're only doing touchbacks on kickoffs at 28%. Um, opponents have averaged 27.5 yards per return, and uh, uh, they're only getting like 42 yards net per kickoff. Like, that is a legitimate thing here. Florida State, if they're well-coached up, they will not be fair-catching kickoffs. They will be trying to take those back and using their speed and athleticism here, and let's hope they can avoid some penalties. But this is an area where I think you should take advantage of and and not just do the auto-fair catch, which they've done pretty much all this year, and I've been largely happy with it compared to what they did last year. Um, FSU only has, what, 10 returns, I think, on the year, which is – yeah, let, let, let's let's see four or five returns in this game. All with you there. All right, predictions. Uh, Riley was was fairly close to where our number I've kind of kicked around all day in my head was uh, 38-34, somewhere in that way for Florida State. I um, think it'll be fairly high score and think there'll be uh, moments of frustration uh, with with what the defense gives up, but uh, I, I somewhere in my heart of hearts think that Florida State wins a pretty close game here uh, and maybe has us feeling slightly better about where this season's headed in general. We'll see if they get up off the mat after Clemson. I, I think they do. So I'm going to let you know that my computer, like my computer numbers that I use for betting purposes, I did bet Florida State in this game uh, plus four. Uh, when it came out, I also took the over 67 and a half. Uh, last week, we told you to bet Clemson first half, and that was like the easiest money you'll make all year. It's almost stealing. Uh, that that thing should have been north of 17 for sure, at least in my opinion. Um, so my numbers say wake by but wake by one, like 38, 37 wake. My numbers have been real good this year. 55% against the spread good. I don't, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying, like, it's. I generally try not to go against them. I do think that with uh, – I know he's, he's actually pretty damn good, but he is the backup, I think, for a reason, um, quarterback-wise, in, in, in Hartman. And with them losing, you know, one of their, one of their rovers – I'm going to flip that. I think I'm actually going to go 38-37 Florida State, and that will be a heart attack of a game for everybody you know, if, they, if they have a game that features 75 points and a one-point Florida State win. But that's what, I'm going to go 38-37 FSU. Similar uh, similar ideas as to how the game plays out. We'll uh, look forward to hearing the Instant Reaction podcast, and you're right. If there's a there's a 70-75 to 75 point game and Florida State wins by – uh, one or two points, that'll be a, a cardiac ride for everybody. But uh, we'll be here for it. Oh, do you think a – I actually think a high-scoring game benefits Florida State here. If it's a low-scoring game, that's telling me that Florida State has not come in with the right game plan on defense, wow. that they're allowing Wake to actually control the ball, right. you know, while, like, staying up to up-tempo, but just staying ahead of the chains all the time, not getting any completes, not getting any kind of tackles for loss at all. High-scoring game, a game where – that that probably means each team is getting 16, 17, maybe 18 possessions. I think that favors Florida State because that means you're hitting those explosive plays because you know Florida State sure is driving the ball on anybody, right? <laughs> so I'm not trying to like be mean. I'm just saying 
I think the higher scoring this is, the more it benefits Florida State. I don't like Florida State to win a game that's in the 50s or 60s here. Too many, too many things that favor uh, the team in the low-scoring game are very, very much in favor of Wake Forest. So, uh, right there with you, uh, be a fun game. Uh, I know it's not the the level that Florida State fans want to be at, where you're looking at uh, a, a, not a season-defining, but very much a, uh, a directional as to where the season may go. And uh, it's a big game. We'll be here to talk about it. Hey, let's do some questions, though. Brought to you by our Patreon listeners and Resolution Home Loans, Resolution Home Loans, where you can get hooked up, get hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the best loan guy in the business. He did my loan. That's why we, we come to you from the Resolution Home Loan Studios. You can submit your questions uh, via email, via Twitter, but also uh, your best chance of getting them answered because we just get such a volume of them is via Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash nolcast. For Shannon Young, that's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. I believe we have 40 uh, done now of uh, of Nolcast listeners having gone through the mortgage process and, and, and got their home through Resolution Home Loan. Shannon's a diehard Noel, as is Chad. They will help you out every step of the way and get you a great rate. So, uh, Chris says, I know I may be getting ahead of myself, but if the run D is, is bad this year with Marvin Durden, how bad is it going to be next year without those guys and lack of other defensive line recruits? Well, let's set the table here. How bad is the run defense? Uh, the run defense right now is uh, 65th. So, um, Ingram, would you project a, a, a downward trend next year for the for the run defense? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's been a topic of conversation. The short-term topic is uh, is the offensive line. The long-term conversation is meaningful difference makers along the defensive line of scrimmage. Uh, it's something we've talked about. It's something that, that's been a mutual concern of ours. And uh, I certainly get where Chris is coming from. Uh, could you be a little bit better in having the scheme that you're trying to implement uh, be cleaned up and uh, – get a little bit better play from some younger linebackers, yes. But uh, overall, I think you're going to have a little bit of a harder time with the run next year as well. I, I think that's fair. Um, I think the scheme will help. And if they get a new defensive coaching staff next year, which I think they need to do, I think they need to have somebody else coach linebackers. Uh, I think you could have better linebacker play. Um, I think you could potentially have better defensive end play than, than you do this year. In fact, I'd be pretty surprised if you didn't. Right, because Janarius is not going to go pro, right? He's a junior now, or Richard Jr. Um, sorry. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a Richard Jr. I, I don't think he's a guy who's, you know, who is pro ready um, at this point in the year. He actually has nine run stuffs on the year, uh, which which by far uh, leads the team. So that's wouldn't shock you know, that, me if he declared. I, I think I think you're right. I think the smart choice is coming back. Still a very raw product, but I wouldn't wouldn't blow me away at this point in time at all. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I don't think he should declare, and I'm a very like pro declare guy. Um, they'll still have Robert Cooper next year. He's very good against the run. He's a, like a total non factor against the pass. I, I'm not fully writing off the idea that Florida State could be better next year against the run um, because they have so much, so much room for improvement um, in terms of of their rushing success rate. And that is really the, the, the key driver there. Like, oh, so you're good at not giving up 50-yard runs. Great. And I'm doing a hand motion here. Uh, this is not a video, luckily. 
114th in rushing success rate, you can fix just with some better coaching, I think, honestly. Um, so definitely something to, uh, to consider there. Jesse asks, what changes can we legitimately expect along the offensive line in the offseason? Will potential grad transfer JUCOs be evaluated and targeted better? Are you hearing anything positive about the playing I'm time? I'm not hearing anything, <laughs> anything positive about that at all, but I, I, I have to think that the staff will realize that if they do not find new players to come in, I don't think the answers are on this roster. I think the answers have to come from outside this roster. Yeah. Right. Jesse ends with, doesn't look like we have any blue chips in the 20 class. Uh, and will that change? Uh, I mean, they may sign a, a four-star kid. Yes. Are they going to sign an elite plug-and-play tackle? Uh, doesn't appear as though those are legitimately on the radar. Uh, maybe one kid that Florida State's still tangentially involved with, but uh, there's nobody that I would immediately populate that position with. Uh, am I incorrect in that, bud? No, I – I think you're exactly right on that, actually. Um, they needed to go get answers from outside. I don't know what the hell they were thinking this year. Uh, I said it at the time. This is not, this is not second guessing. We first guessed this. We said, why do they think Juwan Williams can play? They, they, they can't think that it's just all, all Greg Fry's fault. Now, I don't think Fry did a good job. I don't think it was good that the kids knew he thought they weren't any good. You know, like that's, that's an issue there. I think that Randy Clements has been a big upgrade. But these guys can't play. And I have never been a believer in Chaz Neal. I think that if Chaz Neal could play a lick, he would be playing already because they've got Abdul Bello out there right now, and he can't play at all. So, you know, if you if you kind of think about that, like maybe Washington steps into a role next year as a second-year player. That's possible. But they needed to go out and get two transfer bodies this year who can play. And you don't even have to find good ones. That, that's what makes me so disappointed in, in this staff. Like, there's a lot of stuff that people blame this staff for that I don't because it's not their fault. This one was their fault. They had to realize even giving me a bad football player is an upgrade at the tackle position. Bad is an upgrade. Bad is an upgrade. And they didn't go out there and do it. They, they just they, they got one guy. I understand, like, they did have APR concerns here, and if you bring in other guys, you might have some guys transfer. That's a legitimate concern. But I don't think bringing in one more dude was going to kill you on that, and they failed to do it. The The Juco they brought in can't play at all, and that's on them, right? That That's a miss. That's a guy they hyped up and thought he could help them out. He can't. Bellow can't play. I've yet to see any signs that Neil can play other than just some websites hyping him up for seemingly no reason. We'll see if another year in the program helps him. I can't totally write him off, but again, he was the worst recruit I've seen Florida State take in terms of high school quality uh, in, in my like decade of doing this. So they need to go outside the program and get, because Roberts will be gone. In my opinion, they need to bring in two college-ready bodies from the transfer market. And I think both of them need to be potential tackles. My plan for Florida State, I think this is a reasonable one, and they're actually hitting this. I just think they should, they're a little bit behind schedule where they should be on this because Jimbo left them nothing. My plan was get to bad this year. If you saw the tweet we put out the other day and we discussed this in the podcast, 97th right now, that's like a 20-spot improvement over, over where they were last year. I think you can call this line bad. It's not like worse in the, worse in the nation or worse than the Power 5 bad. Next year, my goal is to get to below average. 
I think that's a reasonable step. If you define average as sort of that like, you know, 50 to 75 range, I think that like the lower half of that, can you get to 75th in the nation? I think that's possible. I don't think they can. Uh, I don't think average next year is real likely. I think below average is certainly possible. And then can you get me to average by 2021? If this staff doesn't go out and get some help on the offensive line in terms of the transfer market or the JUCO market, some legitimate help, I don't think there's going to be a 20, 2021 for this staff. We've talked about it numerous times. We've said if there, uh, if there are members of the college shirt army, uh, the back staff that uh, could just go ahead and live in Iowa, Mississippi, other places that are heavily populated with JUCOs, it may be a good idea. Uh, Ryan asks, with the recent decommitment of Jalen Harrell, do you feel a loss at weight could cause more of a 2020 class uh, could cause more in the 2020 class, all things considered. We seem to have done a good job holding on to who we have, despite a sluggish start. But do you think that could change with further poor showings? Um, so if you go back to our one of our preseason shows, we said, let's let's kind of try to tie records to potential finishes in recruiting. If you go 9-3, and three, I think you had a chance to break into the top 10. You're not going to go 9-3. and three. If you go 8-4, and four, I thought they could basically stay – where they were over the summer, which was like 12th or 13th. Um, if you go 7-5, and five, I would expect some backslide, but you're still back to a bowl safely, right? If you go 6-6, six and six, I, I think Willie Taggart is very very legitimately on the hot seat for 2020, not for 2019. For 2020, and, and you could see some more, uh, some more kids flee. Uh, I don't think that the Harrell loss is that big of a deal, to be honest. Um, there are some people over there who will tell you that was a mutual parting of the ways. And, uh, well, I don't think they're always truthful with me at times um, because I think they try to spend some stuff. I actually do believe them in this case for some reasons that I'm not going to get into. So I don't take that as that big of a loss. Beating Wake really does help you, though. It re- And not, not with just, hey, it helps you with recruiting, but if, if you beat Wake... I think your, I think your chance of going seven and five is better than your chance of going six and six. And right now, I have them at six and six as the most likely record, with seven mm-hmm. and five more likely than five and seven. But if you actually get the wake win, I, I really think that uh, that seven and five becomes more likely than six and six. That's a big deal. And also, if you get the wake win, the potential to go eight and four is 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 better than a pipe dream right now. I don't think eight and four is very realistic. Yeah. So, um, recruiting is obviously a very leading indicator. Uh, kids demit decommitting, uh, kind of lagging. I, I would say it's not necessarily indicative of one game, you know, game here, game here and kids impacts their decision. Uh, frequently takes a little bit of time to kind of make its way, through the process and uh sounds like there might be a little bit more to harold and the staff deciding that uh they wanted to go in different directions long way of saying that you know one game here or there i don't think brings about a decommitment uh, perhaps a prolonged period of a downturn would uh chris asks do you have numbers to show the benefits and disadvantages of running the fast tempo wake force runs why do teams choose why do teams choose to use this obviously it didn't help wake force last year when florida state won comfortably but this season looks uh different perhaps uh so specific numbers as far as like the benefits and disadvantages. I, I can tell you what some of the benefits and disadvantages are, but I don't actually have 
specific numbers. I know some of these guys that run the systems definitely have numbers and guys who, you know, don't like the system. I'm sure they have numbers as well. This is something that's probably illustrated a little bit better because there, there's some stuff that I think is correlated, but not necessarily causation uh, in terms of, hey, w- when we run this number of plays, our, our winning percentage goes up, you know, to to X, right? Well, that there's a lot of different reasons why you could run a, a number of plays. Um, but I, I really think this is a, um, I, I think for a lot of teams running a, a, a fast tempo offense, Makes a lot of sense. For some teams, if you have a talent disadvantage, I actually think it's not real smart, right? Like Georgia runs an offense that a team that doesn't have any talent should run. Mm. <laughs> it's basically yeah. trying to minimize how long it spends on the field, yeah. right? And, yeah. and But Georgia has a lot of talent. It doesn't make sense for them to run what they run. Florida State running what they run makes a hell of a lot of sense. I think tempo can really help out as far as an offensive line that's not very good uh, and – Look, Wake Forest, back in the day, their offensive line was even worse than Florida State's was, and it was a multi-year rebuild. That's kind of where I got the idea from, by the way. It's just I think Florida State's on a little bit faster timeline as far as their O-line rebuild uh, compared to to what Wake Forest was. Wake Forest had the worst P5 offensive line I've ever seen. What year was that? Was that 2014 or 15? It was – they were like Florida State walk-on level bad. Yeah, th- um, I think that was 14, but... Uh, I mean, that was like six years ago. Yeah, It was it was so bad. I think that that helps you because the defense sometimes... Even if you give me a couple plays per series or per quarter where the defense is not lined up like it should be, that's a pretty big deal. That gives me a better angle to block them. They, they might get tired a little more. We know the defense gets tired more than the offense, even if they're running the same plays, simply because the defense has to run around there chasing somebody. And the offense knows where it's going. It's not reacting. The offense knows certain guys can take a playoff after they've made a certain block. And I'm not saying that as a laziness perspective. I'm just saying that as a, um, you know, well, it, it's just fact. As we uh, move to uh, to Derek's question, I, I will read, uh, kind of touch on what you said there, that uh, many of Georgia fans have questioned why we uh, – <clears throat> Use all this all this hustle out on the recruiting trail, signing uh, pretty much the best offensive lineman <laughs> that they ever target and uh, could want over the past three years, and then run an offense that uh, minimizes risk in a manner that uh, honestly Jimbo Head my, uh, Jimbo Fisher might shake his head at. So uh, interesting blend there to uh, stack your roster with that, and then play to a game to uh, minimize game opportunity against South Carolina, winning a lot of fans over. Uh, Derek asks, you both emphasize not letting Clemson beat us twice over the last few weeks. Having said that, how important is the first 10 minutes of this game? Seems like following behind multiple scores early on the road to such an explosive offense could make for a very long night. I I think it's extremely important to come out early. Um, Not because I don't think Florida State's capable of coming from behind. I think they probably are. Um, But... You're right. I, th- I think it will help set the tone mentally um, for a team that is not near as fragile as they were last year, but I think they're potentially somewhat fragile. Um, the other thing is just strategically here, look at, at Louisville against Wake. You know, Louisville, they rushed for over 200 yards against Wake Forest. But if they had been up in that game, 
they would have rushed for 350. And their their RPO game, their play action game would have worked even better. Um, because they're so RPO dependent with, with, with holding the mesh point for as long as they do, Wake Forest is specifically not built to play from behind. Um, if you get them down early, especially if you can kind of bury them early and get them down multiple scores, Clawson's a good coach. He's not going to totally abandon the run and, and just start chucking the ball all the time. But at some point in the game, you kind of have to because the clock becomes your enemy. Now, Wake mitigates that some because of the tempo they play. Uh, however, you can see where I'm going this, right? These teams that are very dependent on play action and, and on you know pounding the ball to establish the run and all this stuff, um, and they get down early, it's potentially a problem for them. So getting up early in this game I think is more important um, than almost any other game Florida State plays this year. Final question of the evening, and again, as always, uh, the vast majority of these come from our uh, Patreon supporters. Thank you to them, Nolcast, uh excuse me, patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Tom asks, at the midway point in the season, what players would you say are most likely to leave after this year? And when they do, who, in your opinion, is next in line to replace them? Uh, so, let me see. I probably should start with Blackman, right? Like, do you think he's going to be here next year? Uh, I think more likely than not, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, now, if a certain a certain story that's out there uh, involving college football royalty, haha, um, then then I may change my opinion as to how much traction that gets and how uh, how much Florida State has a chance with him. All right, I'm re- I'm referencing uh, a Mr. King who formerly played at Houston out there to remove the ambiguity of my answer. Yeah, if if they're able to get him, which I mean, obviously, like, the interest would be obvious. He had fifty touchdowns with 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 Kendall Bras as OC. He's a better fit for the system. He's just wanting to uh, redshirt, bud, get a better understanding of the situation yeah. of the system before he goes back out there, though. So yeah, that's right. Um, Cam Akers and uh, and and LeBourne will be gone. Assuming Florida State's running back commits stick, I think they'll both get a lot of playing time, uh, and I, I think FSU might add a third still at the running back position. Uh, but Anthony Grant uh, has to be assumed as your uh, as your potential number one for next year. If if LeBourne goes, which I know we've discussed potentially him going before. We've talked about that. Uh, we talked about Robinson, somebody to keep an eye on. Durden's a name that we've talked a good bit about. Uh, yet to know who would contribute, who would be his immediate uh, replacement at this spot. Um I don't think you're, you have too many possibilities in the secondary. Nobody at linebacker that would be leaving in a manner that would be unexpected, in my opinion. Receivers, uh, we got to talk about a little bit. Yeah, receivers is a different story. I mean, Terry, I would expect to go because I think it'll test off the charts at the combine. Um, you think DJ Matthews will go? Yeah, I do. I I think so too. Um, not that he should necessarily, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think anybody else really candidate to go. McKitty uh, only has 15 catches on the year. He's shown to be a decent blocker um, at times, but I, I don't think that he's really much of a much of a candidate to go. So I, I agree with you. I think those are, are the main guys. Um, Durden being the one that is probably the, the guy you would like, like the, among the ones that are not like guaranteed in my mind, which would be Akers and Marv. 
Uh, if you could keep Durden, that'd be that'd be pretty huge. It'd be a nice, significant piece to build around. But uh, you know, only Clemson seems to have the keep the defensive tackles card uh, in play. So uh, we'll keep uh, keep an eye on it, Tom. That's a good question and something that we may revisit. Maybe uh, Alabama State or a week leading up to Florida there. So. Um, as always, thanks to all of our uh, questions. Tried to get to as many as possible, and uh, we appreciate uh, your support, and uh, we we'll look forward to doing another round of these soon.